people in France were quite angered by the attack. Where quite, um, we see a lot of people who used to be moderates or used to be, I say, lenient toward Islamist rhetoric, who said, "Okay, that was enough." You also have to consider the uh, left-wing extremism. Uh, we had a number of sabotage uh, of a different, uh, either like government building or 5G antennas or places that be considered a legitimate target for left-wing extremism. We hear an awful lot about terrorism in France. What is the reality on the ground? Hi, this is Phil Gursky, President and CEO of Borealis Threat and Risk Consulting in Russell, Ontario, Canada, and you're listening to Canadian Intelligence, eh? When it comes to acts of violent extremism, i.e. terrorism, in the past couple of years, the ones that have really gotten our attention are the, are the large-scale ones, or the ones that really kind of hit us emotionally. And unfortunately, in this regard, uh, France is a nation that has suffered some absolutely catastrophic acts. Think of the attacks in 2015 at the Bataclan Theatre in the Stade de France, in which over 100 were killed. Think of the Charlie Hebdo attacks which was an attack on, on, on press freedom. Uh, think of the beheading of Samuel Patsy, a teacher, a couple of months ago. And it seems that France has a disproportionate number of attacks carried out by Islamist extremists in the Western world. There have also been some allegations, though, that perhaps the far right is something which we need to worry about in France. I'm not an expert on what's happening in France, but I certainly have brought in somebody who very much is a person who knows an awful lot about the situation in France. So I'm delighted to be joined on the podcast today, uh, joining me from Paris in France by Alexander Rudd, who is a researcher in France looking at the problems of terrorism. He's also a lieutenant in the French Reserves, where he engages in training on terrorism for law enforcement uh, and security officials. So, Alexandre, thank you so much for joining me this morning. Thank you for having me. You know, it's a delight to be here and to be able to talk about terrorism in a, an intelligent way. The first question is, is perhaps one that, I, that really interests me. And a lot of people have accused me of dismissing the threat from the far right, which is inaccurate. But let's go with that. I was listening to a podcast, a webinar rather, yesterday on the situation in Western Europe when it came to the far right, especially in Germany and, and parts of the Balkans, Poland, for example, as well in Eastern Europe. And uh, the, the, the people on, on the webinar seem to suggest that France has a bigger problem than it either it likes to admit or than people realize. So in this atmosphere, Alexandre, in which everybody's talking about nothing but the far right these days, which I think is highly problematic. How would you describe and delineate the threat from right-wing extremism in your country today? That's an interesting question. Um, that's something I've, I've heard a lot too. I've read a lot about the terrorism in France and the far right being a major, a major threat. I think, uh, unfortunately, it's a, it's a false equivalence. If you start looking at the numbers, uh, we we have suffered 46 attacks uh, from the jihadi extremism in France, killing 269 people and injuring more than a thousand. If you look at the far right, uh, we have approximately 30 to 35 cases. Uh, if you look at vandalism or uh, anything like um, uh, extremist assault, for a total of, I think, 11 injured. So we had a number of far right attacks in France, we had, a, we had mosques being attacked, mosques being shot at, mosques being burned, but mostly like at night when nobody was there. We had a bunch of assault uh, in Dijon and chalon sur saône in 2017, and two in, tw in 2019 in Brest and in, by the Bayonne the, the Bayon Mosque. 
but none of them compare to the degree of sophistication or lethality that we have faced regarding jihadi extremism. So, so those are the facts, Alexandre. Why is it that you think that uh, a lot of people are saying, well, you know, the far right is what you should be worried about? I mean, the statistics you gave me are quite stark. I mean, you know, over 200 killed by Islamist extremists, uh, over 100 in the Bataclan and Stade de France attacks alone, over 1,000 injured. Why is this conversation turning in this direction as far as some people are concerned? Do you have, do you have any insight into that? Uh, um, my guess would be when you look at, at extremism, um, I think Western Europe and the Western world in general have a pretty like keen eye about right-wing extremism because of because of our history, because of what happened during World War II. We know exactly when uh, what what is free speech and what is extremism. When you look at jihadi uh, rhetoric or even the far the far left, it's harder for us Western Europeans to point out what is free speech and what is a violent speech or hate speech or anything would lead to violence. So I think it's, it's part of it. We are better equipped to detect extremism when it's on the right. Um, I also saw that there is effort from extremist group to try to legitimize some of the claims of extremist jihadis uh, and Islamists uh, and try to paint them as victim of a system uh, that, mm-hmm. that is oppressing them, which is obviously not the case. I'm glad you you raised that last point, Alexandre, because this is what I want to pick up on next. I, I certainly have seen a, a lot of analysis and, and writing uh, about what's happening in France. And, and there are certainly a lot of people who are saying that, oh, you can't talk about Islamist extremism because it's 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 perceived as racism. It's perceived as discrimination. And yet, as you say, there have been hundreds killed and, and over a thousand wounded by this group. So let's turn to the, the, the Charlie Hebdo situation. So in 2015, of course, there was the Charlie Hebdo attacks and the whole world reacted by saying, je suis Charlie. Okay. I, in other words, I support freedom of the press and I, I, I absolutely denunciate this horrendous attack, of a, a terrorist attack on people that were working on a newspaper. That was back in 2015. And, and yet, you look at the, the recent beheading of Samuel Patsy, I believe it was in October of last year, by uh, a Chechen who was angered by the fact that he was discussing Charlie Hebdo and the infamous uh, caricature, the, the Guadalajara cartoons. The, the, the reaction was very different in your country and actually in around the world. My prime minister embarrassingly uh, talked about respect rather than den- denouncing the act of terrorism. Why do you think there's been this shift from a support for freedom of the press, support for freedom of expression, denunciation of terrorism, to a much more muted response with respect to the beheading of Samuel Patsy? I would start to talk about the, the Je suis Charlie phenomenon. I think it was an interesting and a smart way to promote freedom of, of speech. Charlie Hebdo is a, is a strong-willed uh, journal. Uh, they have opinions that I, I don't share, especially on law enforcement. Uh, but they've been victim of a terrible attack. And at that moment, the important part was supporting them and saying that that wasn't okay. You couldn't attack journalists, you couldn't attack satirists uh, because of a cartoon. Uh, in, in regard to what happened to Samuel Paty, so I'm, I'm, I'm quite familiar with the case. I had the um, opportunity to train uh, the law enforcement response that arrived on scene just a couple of weeks before the attack took place. Um, I think um, the attack was poorly perceived, and I think our friend Lion Duffy could, could mention that in, in his uh, recent articles, about the um, Anglo-Saxon press and trying to describe it as a case of uh, law enforcement violence on the minority and France being uh, on the verge of uh, turning to the far right. It's not the case. I think 
people in France uh, were quite angered by the attack. Where quite, um, we see a lot of people who used to be moderates or used to be, I say, lenient toward uh, Islamist rhetoric, who said, "Okay, that was enough." We had a teacher being beheaded in the street for a class he gave about free speech and uh, and the freedom of having different ideas. So uh, I think a lot of French concept and a lot of uh, of the French context too was poorly understood by the Anglo-Saxon press and was uh, used in a North American context as something uh, as an equivalence, which it wasn't. Um, I say that in France, so Samuel Paty received national homage from the president in the in the University of the Sorbonne. Um, he's seen as a as a hero by by a lot of, uh, of French people, and uh, I think a lot of them realize the danger of uh, Islamist rhetoric and jihadist violence. It's interesting you point out that uh, there was a very uh, almost like black and white treatment of the case in the in the Anglo press. It didn't receive nearly as much uh, condemnation as it did in, in the in the press in France, and I have noticed that there was a a move within sort of the French. I don't know elite classes to sort of move away from criticizing Islamist extremism. So if I understand you correct, Alexandre, do you see in the wake of the Samuel Patsy attack, there's almost a move back to being very critical of Islamist violent rhetoric in your country? In other words, is this movement to sort of say, hey, let's leave this alone. You know, it's 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 verging into racism, it's verging into Islamophobia. Is that movement been checked because of the the, the horrible, horrible slaying? Of Samuel Patsy, I, I think uh, yeah, k- kind of. I think what happened is uh, if you look at the, the attacks on the last few years, in 2018 we had three attack, three jihadist attacks on, on French soil. In 2019, the same numbers. Some of them were horrific. We had more than people, more than four people killed in the uh, in the police headquarters in Paris. Uh, but there were less attacks than the years before. This year we are facing seven attacks, eight if you include the, the Bolin case in December. So I think the resurgence of jihadi attacks uh, kind of remind people who are not working on the field, not working on the subject, that the threat is real, the threat is growing. And it, it also happened uh, just after the uh, President Macron speech on uh, separatism mm-hmm. and about the danger of rhetoric used by Islamist extremists uh, about uh, building the whole enclave in France and trying to, to separate for the rest of the, of the population. So I think that the, the speech of the president two weeks before the attack and the multiplication of the attacks over the last few months uh, kind of uh, reminded the French people of the danger and the threat that was uh, arising in France. That's an excellent segue, Alexandre, because I was going to ask you about Macron's speech in which he talked about it, like Islamist separatism in France, almost the creation of a separate society. And, and you know better than I do that there certainly are socioeconomic challenges when it comes to the Muslim population of France over the years, uh, ex-colonials coming, et cetera, et cetera, the whole migration problem. Macron's speech was initially well regarded, I think, especially in the Western world, but he got an awful lot of backlash from the Muslim world. Talks about embargoes on French products. I believe uh, French flags were burned, photos of, of Macron were burned, and he kind of backtracked a little bit in the wake of this reaction. Where does this debate stand now? So it's a few months after the speech, as you noted. Where's the sentiment right now in, in France? Was Macron simply stating an obvious fact? Um, 
is there still a perception that he was on the right track that although maybe it was worded a little in, in a little clumsy fashion what is the general feeling right now in france when it comes to that what macron calls this islamic or muslim separatism in, in your country i think uh, it was well received at first we had uh, both people on the right and the left who agreed with the statement who agreed with the the summary of the situation he was, he was making at the time. I think some of his words were either poorly translated or maliciously poorly translated uh, in part of the Muslim world. So we had a bunch of boycott of French product. Uh, we had French flag being burned, which I mean, is, is freedom of speech. It is, uh, is an okay response to such uh, claims. But there was also an attack in, uh, in our consulate in Jeddah, in Saudi Arabia, in Saudi Arabia when one of the security contractors yes. gets injured. So it was a serious situation. Um, I'd say that um, for mo most of the French people agree with the statements you made and, and support uh, the laws that are being implemented right now. So we, we are cre we're creating a, a law against separatism. We can go to jail for uh, trying to basically to relocate from the French society or also, like, uh, also, also including a, a law about uh, trying to interfere with uh, freedom of speech in class and trying to refrain teachers from teaching such su some subjects that we have seen in the past and was so prevalent in the Samuel Paty um, attack. So, in other words, so so the, these plans by the French government to crack down on, on a situation that, let, frankly, has been developing for decades in in, in your country is, is is seeing some support. I, I'm going to ask you a very unfair question, Alexandre, and, and I appreciate you may not be, be able to give me a very robust response, but. A lot of us here uh, in the West, so in Canada, in North America, other parts of, of the of, of Western Europe, for example, see the situation in France as, as a particularly um, dire, a particularly bad one in terms of the potential for Islamist terrorism, Islamist extremism. Can you summarize for my listeners who don't know perhaps as much about France, what are some of the causes, the drivers, the reasons why France has a disp disproportionate number of Islamist extremist attacks in the Western world? Um, I think there are a number of reasons. So we've suffered 46 attacks since 2015, starting with the Charlie Hebdo attacks and finishing with the attack on the, in the Nice church uh, last October. Um, the number of reasons uh, that explain that. Uh, first one, we have an important Muslim population, which is uh, have been preyed on by Islamists who are trying to radicalize part of the of the young people, which is true. Um, second, socioeconomic problems always play a role. If it's not a more prevalent role than that usually said, but it counts. Um, and I have to, I would say that uh, because of the special relationship between church and state in France and the importance of laicity or, or secularism, even if it's poorly translated. Uh, and we have been uh, a prevalent victim of uh, of terrorism. There is two laws in the early two thousands that um, two elements in the early two thousand that kind of uh, allowed terrorists to to describe us as a, as a primary target. The first one is the Charlie Hebdo uh, uh, cartoons, who have been republished in the Muslim world and and used as an excuse to attack us. And the second one is the um, anti veil law. Uh, which is not a, a law, uh, it was described as that by Muslim extremists, but it's mostly a law that provide, that forbids children to wear prominent religious sign in schools. The idea behind that, and the idea behind the, the secular principle, that schools should be a place where you have no expression of religion, uh, and you are able to learn and grow 
in a neutral environment. Uh, so therefore, he was he was forbidding uh, Muslim girls to have veil in schools until the age of eighteen, and it's a law that in the in universities. And it was used as once again an excuse and a reason to target us, especially. And, and there's no question that foreign states have taken advantage of these uh, of this legislation, for example, as well as uh, you know, the Charlie Hebdo. Uh, you know, satire. And I, and I agree with you. I, I don't particularly like Charlie Hebdo either, but I mean, you do have freedom of speech laws and it's it's never helpful when, when foreign states misinterpret or use these particular things for their own advantage to, to foment violence. Another aspect, Alexandre, that I want to explore with you today is, is France's military missions abroad. Now, of course, we all know that France had significant uh, colonial responsibility in parts of Western Africa, parts of the Sahel, and that uh, the Sahel is a is a very dangerous place, part of the world right now. The the rise of Islamist extremism in the Sahel is extremely um, it's high. It's very worrisome. We have groups aligned with Al Qaeda, such as Al Qaeda Islamic Maghreb. We have groups aligned with Islamic State in the area. Of course, we have we have Boko Haram in Western in, in, in Nigeria, not a former French colony, but we're seeing incursions into various front into various countries in which France was a colonial power. For example, in Mali, I was in Mali a couple of years ago doing some training uh, on radicalization. The situation is, is extremely uh, it's extremely touchy. Uh, there have been attacks weekly in that part of the world. Uh, in response to this, the French military has been involved in a number of operations: Operation Serval and Operation Bahan. Uh, for my listeners' interest, Canada was also part of the, the mission in the Sahel, providing some logistics support. I've always argued that you know military missions, when it comes to counterterrorism, uh, you're damned if you do and damned if you don't. Uh, they do some good, but they also uh, incur some backlash, some reaction. So, so the first question, Alexandre, is in your opinion, um, how effective and how necessary is the French military mission in parts of the Sahel in Africa? So I'm no military expert. Uh, Operation Barkhane, which is ongoing right now in five Sahelian countries, uh, gather 5,000 troops there. Um, the, it started with Operation Serval, whose goal was to uh, stop a jihadist advance on, uh, on the capital of Mali, and then evolved to uh, security missions all over the five countries in the Sahelian region to try to defend uh, the regime over there from jihadist attacks. Um, it, it's been mostly effective. Uh, we've been able to prevent and to kill a number of um, uh, important targets. Uh, and it's, it's been ongoing now for 2013. Uh, it has been used as uh, an argument by a jihadist propagandist, mostly from the uh, Syrian groups. Uh, to, to, to call it either neo-colonial or reason to attack France. And I think it's, it's a den, dangerous argument. But we have, we have often heard of um, if you are involved abroad in Muslim country, you're kind of looking for a, a security backlash at home. And, um, and yeah, so I think it's, um, it's a dangerous way to approach it. I mean, like, the situation was dire. We are called by an ally to defend it. And... Uh, and therefore, uh, the ongoing mission was just to be able to conserve the security gains that have been made in the region. I know that w when it comes to uh, foreign military missions, uh, it's, uh, you have to be careful because if too many soldiers come back dead, uh, it can affect public opinion. Here in Canada, of course, we were in Afghanistan 
For over a decade, uh, over 160 Canadian soldiers were killed as part of the uh, ISAF and NATO mission to Afghanistan in the wake of 9-11. What has been the, the reaction in France? Because there have been French soldiers who've been killed uh, either in military accidents uh, in the Sahel or have died by uh, IEDs, improvised explosive devices. What has been the reaction, generally speaking, in the French public, the French media, when reports about French soldiers dying uh, in a war you know, thousands of kilometers away, uh, do people see this as unnecessary? Is there some kind of um, demand that the military mission end? Or is it a, sort of a, a, a rallying cry for patriotic patriotism and patriotic support for the French military in France? Uh, so, so we've lost around 50, 50 soldiers over the last uh, seven years on the, on, in Mali, in Mali and the neighboring region. Um, public opinion about it is mostly supportive of it. Uh, the mission started to defend a population against jihadist attack. So that main purpose is appreciated by the French people and mostly agreed with. Uh, because of the recent losses, uh, we had discussion about reducing the number of troops over there, reducing the scope of the mission. But it, uh, it's the public pressure is not really on the subject, and it, it's uh, yeah, it's not too, too big of a subject in the public opinion of France, and we don't have a strong uh, public will to try to remove French troops from abroad. So, in other words, it looks like the military uh, efforts, even after scaled back, will continue for some time in the Sahel. That would be my guess. Okay. Alexander, last question for you. I want to ask you to sort of speculate on, you know, what's what's going to happen next in, in France. Uh, as you said, there, there has been a spike in Islamist extremist attacks in 2020. I don't think there's been any so far in 2021. If you could sort of share with my listeners some idea as to where do you see the threat going? So is it a matter of uh, an increased sort of um, threat from Islamist extremism? Do you think the far right is going to get their act in gear and become more organized, perhaps with help from the far right in other Western European countries? There's a lot of talk these days about sort of the internationalization of the far right. Not really sure what that means, but uh, and I'm not sure if it's accurate. But, you know, from from the security perspective, I, I assume your country has a threat level. You, you rank the, the general threat from from terrorism in Canada, it's at, it's at level three. It's, it's been a medium uh, for the past decade, as far as I can tell. Where do you see violent extremism going in your country, Alexandre? So um, I, I think uh, you have to start by talking about the GID situation. We had, we had a growing number of attacks last year. I think it's going to start. It's, it's going to start again this year. Uh, we have a few elements who are proving to be increasing the, the, the threat, uh, the coronavirus being one of them. The jihadists know that the security system is under stress, so it's easier to attack now. Uh, because of the lockdown and the curfews, it's harder to find a target. So it's, it, it slowed down a bunch of efforts from jihadists to strike. But they stay the, f- the first threat in France uh, by sheer numbers, by, because of the organization and the lethality they can bring to an attack. Uh, when uh, the situation is going to end, uh, we're going to have to f- we're probably going to have to face a number of attacks. Uh, another element was interesting on, this, on the subject is that we are going to be uh, organizing the trial for the um, Bataclan attacks and the subsequent attack of yes. November 13. Um, that kind of event usually brings up the threat level of the Vigipirate plan, which is the, the, the uh, monitor of the threat in France. 
so that's, a, that's going to be a big question. Um, we are also afraid of some what we call the reciprocal radicalization. And because of the number of jihadist attacks, attacks from the far right who decide to strike back. Uh, there is uh, a growing number of people interested in uh, far-right extremism. There is a number of uh, signs, mostly in, in neighboring countries, especially Germany, that the far-right could be organizing, could be strategizing about striking in Western Europe. So it, it is obviously a concern. You also have to consider the uh, left-wing extremism. Uh, we had a number of sabotage uh, of a different either like government building or 5G antennas or uh, places that be considered a legitimate target for left-wing extremism, car dealership, uh, for example. So it's also a concern. Usually um, they have less of a violent intent and they don't, they don't want to, to, to kill anyone, but the sabotage have been growing and the violence and the, um, uh, at least the will to strike law enforcement personnel is a concern for us. I'm not going to put you down to a, a, a prediction, Alizan, because I don't like predicting, but it seems from what you've told me in this podcast that at least it, it is most likely that in, in 2021, at least for the immediate future, the most lethal uh, brand of terrorism, it will be the Islamist variety. So yes, the far right is there. And you mentioned the far left about, you know, attacking 5G towers, attacking car dealerships. But when it comes to the actual targeting of French citizens, for killing and or seriously wounding, it is your assessment that the number one threat, at least for the foreseeable future, will continue to be that that comes from the Islamist extremist milieu. Most definitely, I think the jihadists are the main threat in France, and they have so that that's what keep us concerned and uh, and ready. So I'm assuming that you know when it comes to the DSA and the various police uh, forces in your country, that would be their operational priority uh, until such time as any intelligence or information comes in to, to change the priority. Definitely, if you look at the fish S with S cards, where uh, ways to, to organize and describe people who are considered like, dangerous for the state of France, most of them are created and followed uh, are con- concerns uh, Islamist extremists that could be. Uh, potential offenders. One last thing, Alexandre. I'm glad you mentioned the the fish S. I, I was, you know, years ago I was aware of the the numbers, and I think there were 18,000 people on this fish S. So for my listeners, this is basically people who have been identified uh, as being potential terrorist threats uh, in France. And as you say, the vast majority of the fish S uh, are, are Islamist extremists. Do you have a most recent? Is there a most recently publicly available number on how many people are on this? I think the open source number was from 2018 and it was 29,000 with something like two thirds being Islamist extremists. Uh, 29,000? Yeah, 29,000. Wow. As somebody who worked in security intelligence for 30 years, I can tell you following 29,000 people is simply impossible, which means that the French security forces have to uh, prioritize and, and try to fig- and try to determine who poses the greatest risk versus who is just going to you know, say uh, stupid things online. In other words, uh, there are people that talk the talk and people that walk the walk. This must be a tremendous challenge for the security services in France. Oh, it is. Uh, So uh, the the open open source number for 2018 were out of the 29,000, close to 10,000 were followed on a daily basis, at least. uh, 10,000 follow on a daily basis. Yeah, I I live where uh, the, the subject of some level of surveillance. That, 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 that's an incredible, I, I, I can't comprehend a security service that has to worry about, oh, wow, that's, 
Alexander, you've really opened, I think, my eyes and, and the eyes of, of many of my listeners to just how dangerous the situation is in France. And, and you know, as, as we all agree, all 10,000 are not going to do something. But even if a small percentage, even if 1% of the 10,000 people plan something serious, that's 100 people that are going to carry out attacks either on the scale of the Stade de France and the Bataclan Theatre or on the scale of Samuel Patsy. That's, that's a that's a very, very worrisome number of people. Uh, that's a, that, the situation is concerning. It's been for the for law enforcement for the last five years, and uh, we are extremely aware of the level of the threat. Uh, a couple of uh, things that are able to um, protect the French population is the fact that uh, it's really hard to find uh, firearms in France. So we have terrorists who like, relied on the less sophisticated modus operandi, like knife attacks or car attacks. Right. Which is right. make it harder to me to, to for terrorist attack to be mass scaled. Uh, yet uh, it, it's concerning. Yes. Obviously, you, you know you had the attack in Nice. I, I think I don't I forget how many deaths were caused by that, but that was a guy in a truck essentially driving down the boulevard in Nice. So that can be in fact quite lethal. Uh, Alexandre, I, I want to thank you very very much for taking the time and joining me from Paris today to talk about the situation in France. It's so nice to hear from somebody who knows in great detail. Uh, what's happening in your country, the challenges you face, the numbers you've shared with my listeners are are very scary numbers indeed. So thank you so, so much for taking the time to be here today. Thank you for having me. It was really interesting to discuss this issue with someone who knows the subject. That was my conversation with Alexandre Rod in, in, in Paris, France. And what do you think? I, do you know anything about the situation in France? Uh, do you think that he gave us a, an accurate picture of the of the threat level? Let me know. You can reach me on email, borealisrisk at gmail.com or on Twitter at borealisaves. You can also find me on LinkedIn and on Facebook. If you like this content, you can get more of it every day to your inbox. Simply subscribe. Go to Borealis Threat Risk Consultant. Hit the subscribe button. Provide your email address. You'll get all the material free of charge as well as material that only subscribers get. I'd love to hear from you what you thought of this podcast and others. I'll talk to you again soon. Until then, stay safe. Stay safe.